welcome to Soderbergh 2828, the show on Talk Film Society, where we talk about all 33 Steven Soderbergh movies. Uh, I think there might be a non-movie episode in there somewhere, like where we talk about Mosaic or something. That's right. Whatever. We'll just say 33. I'm Mike. And I'm joined, as always, by Marcelo. How's it going, Marcelo? Hey, uh, I'm Marcelo. It, it's going fine. Uh, Soderbergh made it, made another great movie. Uh, we, were t- we were talking about that off mic, how it seems to be almost unanimous that people agree that this is a good movie. And that's good to talk about. That's yeah. a positive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And and it's a, it's, a, it's a good, I don't know, what would you say, distraction from, uh, you know, it's, it's not super heavy. It's a uh, yeah. Well, you know, it, it, I mean, you know, I, um, I mean, it, I'm it's, assuming it's, people it's, have seen it. No, let's hope so. Uh, my, okay. my my presumption with these is that, and I kind of have this uh, mindset when I when I when I listen to podcasts because I also listen to podcasts. Sometimes when a show does um, a movie, when they cover a movie, and I like the show a lot, I tend to just listen to the show without having seen the movie they're covering sometimes. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should just try, try to keep it as spoiler-free as possible, okay. you know? But, I mean, my, my presumption is they just like us talking, and they're like, they maybe they'll see the movie eventually. Maybe they don't, they don't care about spoilers, but, yeah. That's, or maybe they do. So, I'm just like, yeah. Because it's a dramedy. There's some heavy stuff in it, for sure. Uh, uh, there are a few surprises, so yeah, uh, uh, I, that, that's my mindset, Mike. Because I'm okay. like, yeah, it, it's it's on HBO Max, so yeah, just yeah. sign up for the free trial, figure out how to access your account. Well, if actually, you have HBO uh, already. As mm-hmm. of this, as, as of this recording, they've stopped the free trials HBO oh, Max of because have, of Wonder because Woman eighty four. <laughs> Um, is it because of Wonder Woman or is it because of Let Them All Talk? <laughs> They're like, whoa, there are way too many people who are excited about this new Soderbergh. So let's cut the free trials. I, I, I'm I, lucky enough to have – and this – I mean, this is like part of the preamble because, I mean, for those who don't know, I think we, we might have covered it in the last episode for uh, the laundromat. But Soderbergh signed a deal uh, with HBO Max. He's going to be working uh, uh, with them for the next few years. His next one – no sudden moves. I think that's what it is. Uh, yeah. it'll be on HBO Max, presumably next year. But uh, HBO Max, it's it, it's a solid uh, streaming service. I've had a lot of fun with it since I got it, and I'm lucky enough to get it for free from my um, phone provider from AT and T. Um, uh, crazily enough, they're like, "Hey, you know, we own the we own the damn thing. Here's HBO Max for free." Yeah, your um, phone provider is the reason why all these movies are showing up on HBO Max <laughs> okay, next year. Yeah. I guess that's another thing we should, we could talk about too, because um, uh, I, I I did spend some time this morning reading the Soderbergh interviews that he's done recently, and of course he has to address what's going on with HBO Max and Warner and AT and T. And I mean, you sent me the link to that interview, uh, Mike, and I mean, I I I'm I'm of two thoughts about it, like. I'll just say it's sort of messed up that you have filmmakers like Denis Villeneuve, like all, you know, up in arms because for, for legitimate, legitimate reasons, like because the HBO Max deal uh, where they're releasing their entire 2021 slate on HBO Max day and date as theaters, it was kind of a, a surprise. It wasn't kind of a surprise. It was a surprise to a lot of people, including mm-hmm. Denis Villeneuve and legendary uh, uh, comp- the, the 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 legendary production company who were producing Dune, I think they were just like, "Whoa, you're doing this!" And they're like, "Yeah, it's already done. It's happening." So yeah. that is, to me, that is the most egregious part of this whole thing. That apparently Warner and AT and T they did not bring in the filmmakers, the producers of the, of these all these movies, and like sort of hash it out. Like, mm-hmm. let's let's find some common ground. Let's do something that we're all happy with. No. They're just like let's just pull the rug underneath all these people and do what we want. So that's kind of the thing I, I take like that that really irritates me, you know. On the other hand, and then you know you could talk for a little while, Mike, because I've had I'm, I'm sure you know I've had this brewing for last week. On the other hand, it's like to Soderbergh's point, you know, because Soderbergh is 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 in defense of not in defense of HBO Max, but he is saying this is not the death of theaters. This is not. 
uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the nail in the coffin, theaters will survive and we just have to get over, um, you know, what we're going through now for at least another year, it seems like, because maybe uh, Warner Brothers had that mindset of like, let's let's not, you know, hedge our bets. Let's just, you know, act like 2021 is just a, you know, uh, 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 another 2020 in terms of, you know, theater going. And let's just wait until 2022, uh, presumably. And I, I mean, I, I'm of two, I'm of two minds about it. Like I, I, I do agree with Soderbergh that the theater experience is not going away. That's it's going to survive, but the HBO max move, it's, 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 it's messed up. It's messed up. So that's, that, that, that's my two ways of thinking about it, Mike. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I think it took everybody by surprise and I think it might be course correcting a little too much in the, in the other direction. Like I get it, you know, I, I get that, you know, they, they, this company has these movies that they need to, to get out, right? And that there is going to be a log jam once theaters do reopen. And that, you know, a lot of people just can't go to movie theaters right now, you know, and they're starved for content. Like, I, I get all that, and it's perfectly valid and good. But I, I also do think that there's a lot of, a lot of stuff that should have probably been worked out before the announcement, you oh, know? Yeah. I mean, as we're seeing, you know, with the talent, of course, you know, but also I think with exhibitors and everything too, um, you know, and, and, you know, full disclosure, I do work for a movie theater chain, you know, so of course I want to see these movies get released on the big screen. But like I said on my other show, me personally, just as a movie goer, there's nothing that I like more than seeing a movie in the theater. Oh, yeah. So... I mean, assuming that theaters are open and that it's safe and everything like that, I'm still going to see all of this stuff on the big screen. Like, that's not going to change. Like, nothing for, for me personally, none of my viewing habits are going to change because of this. So, you know, I, I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to see. I did see there was a, an interview that was done with John Fithian, who's like the head of, of NATO, the oh, National yeah. Association of Theater Owners. And he was talking about that Soderbergh interview and how Soderbergh was, said something like, oh, you know, NATO should be negotiating with the uh, movie studios right now to f- work out, you know, what windows are going to be like in the future and all that stuff. And he's like... I, you know, I appreciate the suggestion, Stephen, but that would be illegal. And I'm not trying to go to jail over this uh, because it's a trade organization and we can't do that. That's like, you know, monopoly stuff or whatever. So, you know, it, it's not as cut and dry as, as Soderbergh says. It's it's like stuff that's going to have to be worked out like on a case-by-case basis. And that's going to make things really tricky, you know, but... I, I don't know. I personally think that, you know, once the dust has settled, it's going to be closer to what Universal is doing with like the big chains like AMC and stuff like that, where we're going to see movies released in theaters for like three weekends. And then if they don't do well, they'll drop on PVOD. That's my guess. But yeah. anybody's guess is, you know anybody's guess at this point yeah and and just just so everybody knows like uh between the two of us mike is more the expert on this uh and i can say like i am not fully knowledgeable on every single aspect of it because i through this past week i've been learning more and more about how like things i didn't consider like i can't remember who brought it up but my it it it, it might have been denny villeneuve and him saying like below the line people like not just actors, like you know, people behind the scenes are going to suffer because they're, or even like background actors, whoever, like smaller people you don't consider, they're getting paid residuals on movies that presumably would go to theaters and you know make yeah. their money there. But if they go to streaming, it's like a different, you know, it, it's 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 a different case. And so yeah. all um, my my point is, there's just so much to this. There's so many different aspects to it. It's a lot more complicated than. My little brain can handle so, I it's it, it's a weird time and it's funny that Soderbergh is like seemingly like right in the center <laughs> of all this. Well, yeah, and and the thing about Soderbergh, you know, and the thing that he said is like he's someone who's been thinking about this for years. And oh years yeah, and years. And something know? I brought up this past week is is Bubble and how yeah. fifteen years ago, you know, he tried to revolutionize the game and like release Bubble 
like in theaters and like on direct TV, like the same yeah. day. And, and we've talked about this before, like on past episodes, like even Logan Lucky, like he, he tried to change the way people found out about the film's finances and who was involved and who would get, you know, residuals and all, you know, all that background stuff. And yeah, he's been seemingly thinking about this for, for years and years and years. So yeah, it's like, Hey, Seemingly, Soderbergh's like, you know, I told you so. It's like we're yeah. we're we're inching towards this, uh, uh, like streaming versus theatrical thing for years, and now we're just catapulted. You know, we 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 fast forwarded, you know, to the point where we are now. Yeah. yeah, but like looking at you know what Disney was saying on their investor call and everything, and and they were very vague about a lot of stuff. But you know, I feel like they're still invested in in theatrical and everything like that. So, you know, I'm I'm optimistic that the the HBO thing is going to be just kind of a temporary yeah. fix to to our current problem and that after that's over and you know, I mean there is a lot of thinking in the theatrical end of things that like people will come back, you know, it's just we need to get through all of this and once we do people will come back because I mean, I, I agree with that too. Like people want to go to see movies, you know, I mean, that's like one of the, the most typical date things, right? Dinner and a movie. Yeah. So are people just going to stop going to see movies because what they are they going to do at home? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I don't think that that's going to happen. So I, I, I agree with that because, and it's also something like I, I almost selfishly, um, consider is that I live in Austin. I mean, Mike, you live in Chicago. Like we live in cities that have good theater houses that that have good uh, people running them and do retrospectives and all this, you know, all this great stuff for for movies. But in people who are not fortunate to live where we are, they just have like chain theaters, like AMC's, and like I know I, I'm going to call his name out. He's not going to listen to this episode, but Matt Curione has made a point about saying he's he's almost glad that theaters are you know not doing as well as they are because he doesn't like the theater experience but he lives in new jersey and i i can't blame him for not liking the theater experience in new jersey because i can only imagine it's not good and people don't respect theater going like they do in austin texas at a draft house where it's like not only do you have to follow the rules there but like it's it's just it's just the vibe in austin it's it's a it's a film loving community and we are. We're not, I'm not gonna say we're totally respectful, but we are. I think more respectful than you know other you know cities uh, and states. And yeah, it's a different experience if you don't live in you know a, a major city or if you don't have like a an art house theater you know in in, in your neighborhood. So yeah, um, I'm hoping things for major chains work out that they can uh, you know address these issues that people have had for years about people not respecting watching a movie like i don't know it's yeah it's it's a whole thing that we now have to consider that in this year you know i've read a few articles about how people are like you know were theaters great are we just remembering like you know are we just having nostalgic feelings about these experiences that are just constantly uh letting us down people talking through theaters people using their cell phones you know the, the projector not working like yeah so it has to be addressed, is what I'm saying. Because I'm confident the Animal Draft House will make it through this. I'll, I'll go to Animal Draft House eventually again one day when I have the vaccine. I'll go back. But, yeah, I, I just hope maybe an AMC can survive and just rethink how they do the theatrical experience for people and make it better. So, yeah, that's my point. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. You know, will 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 we get bigger screens and better projection? I think that they're, that, that's quite possible. Um uh, it, it'll be interesting to see for sure. Yeah. 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 So let's talk about this movie, which is being released. It was always <laughs> intended to be released only yeah. on a, a movie I saw on my living service. room. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Me too. That which I is wish. A challenge. Yeah. I mean, oh yeah, it's a challenge. And I wish HBO Max would have offered this in like 4K Dolby Vision, yeah. but they're going to wait for Wonder Woman, you know, 1984. It'll be interesting to see if like a bunch of the stuff on there gets upgraded once. Uh, you know, I hope so. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, and and I mean, just speaking to that point, to the theatrical experience or whatever. I mean, one of the things which I've really found is that it's hard to watch movies at home 
and in the way that you would in the theater. You know, well, yeah. I've gotten to the point where I'm I'm actually turning off my phone when I watch a movie, not just putting it on vibrate or anything, but like literally turning the phone off so that I can't pick it up to say like, who's that person or whatever. And then, you know, just start scrolling through Twitter if the movie's bad or whatever. So it's, it's a struggle to, to do that. And maybe that speaks more to me than. Oh no. I experience, but I think it's, I think it, I think that's the case for a lot of people. And for me too, uh, I'm going to end 2020 with the lowest film view count of the last 10 years for me. Um, Cause I always try to watch at least like 300 or so movies, 300. So I, I already forgot how many days there are in a year, <laughs> 300 and <laughs> however many days there are, whatever it is, at least three, uh, uh, at least 350 movies a year is what yeah. I've been. I, I looked back yesterday, actually, I'm like, where am I going to end up? I'm not going to pass the 50, okay, which is which is the average rates of films I've seen a year, right, in the last 10 years, since I've started keeping track. Mm-hmm. I'm going to end up, like, in the low 300s, so. And it's because I'm not going to festivals seeing movies. I'm not going out to theaters you know, to see all these movies. I have to sit down and concentrate, and I can only do, like, so much at home because I fall asleep. I, I don't finish a movie. I have this thing every time I see a movie where if I want to see a movie, I have to decide which movie I want to see. And, and I, and it's, it's a, it's a whole deal, but like luckily in the last few days, I've been watching more movies at home and been more focused. Cause I guess I'm more excited about these, like, like let them all talk. Like I was excited to see it. I got off work. I made myself dinner. I sat down, watched the whole thing beginning to end and did not have any issues concentrating. Cause it was a great movie. And then I've like recently I've also done that with like on the rocks, which I wanted to see it's, it's on app, you know, Apple plus and sat down, watched that, had a good time. Um, uh, I'm thinking of any things. I had the same thing, you know, sat down, made a day of it. So yeah, it is um, to your point, Mike, it is difficult for me to concentrate and watch a movie at home and focus, but I think I've been doing slightly better now in December, you know, <laughs> um, yeah. several months since not having, you know, you know, the, the, the routine of seeing a movie, turning the phone off and concentrating. Yeah. 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 All right. So let's, let's get into this movie. Let them all talk. Uh, it's directed by Steven Soderbergh, of course. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, do you want to give a, a description of this thing? Yeah. Uh, I, for the first time in 33 episodes, I actually wrote it down. Uh, Meryl Streep plays an author who takes a trip on the Queen Mary 2 across the Atlantic to accept an award in the UK. She brings along her two childhood friends and her nephew on the cruise. Uh, also in this, Candace Bergen, Diane Wiest, Lucas Hedges, and Gemma Chan. So that's Let Them All Talk. Yeah. And uh, this movie was written by Deborah Eisenberg, who is primarily a short story writer. Um, I guess she's also written um, a play and a few other things uh, here and there. But for the most part, uh, this is the first time she's ever written a movie. And she was handpicked by Soderbergh to work on this project because he had been reading a lot of her stories and uh, was impressed with her work. He had this in mind since the end of Girlfriend Experience, if I remember that right. And him and Gregory Jacobs is is a go-to producer. And I th- yeah, he, he, he picked her because, yeah, he was reading her stuff. And he also, I like, guess, chickened out from writing it himself. He's like, I don't want to write this. Have her write it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's interesting. I, I, I didn't – maybe you've read this. I, I, I didn't. But um, back when he was doing those – movies for HDNet or Magnolia or whatever it was at that particular point in time. I know the plan was to do like five or six of them, you know? You know what? That just clicked in my head, Mike, because yeah, like his plan for that was to release, I think Bubble was uh, in that. Bubble was the first. Yeah. Yeah. Then then Girlfriend Experience. Experience, And that was it. That That was all that he did. And I have to, I have to think that this would have been one of the six uh, because he had that in mind. Uh, with his producer, like let's, because like that, that that's when the the core concept of the film, that's when it began, is that idea of like let's do a movie like Girlfriend Experience, but with like more 
I guess, prestige, you know, actors and yeah. have them improvise a lot of the script, a lot of the movie. And yeah, I'm, I'm assuming, yeah, you're right. Th- this, this was going to be one of those six, but now, you know, 15 years later, you finally did it, you know? And, and thinking about that, I wonder, since those two movies were done in the same style, but with non-actors, I wonder if he would have gone that route here too. Like, instead of getting Meryl Streep, would he have gotten someone like Deborah Eisenberg to essentially play herself oh, in this movie? You, you know, know what? But but to that point, I think I think I have to go back to the interview. I think he his his um, idea for this was to have like legitimate not you know not to discredit people who start in bubble girlfriend experience, but yeah. like have real actors in mm-hmm. it. Like he's okay. like, let's put real actors on this cruise ship and shoot it like girlfriend experience where it's like more than half improvised. So I think yeah. that was always the plan to have those lead actors, those like, you know, professional actors in there. And then after filming the laundromat, they're like, Oh, what, what about Meryl? I said, like, yeah, yeah. Let's, 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 let's talk to Meryl. And yeah. then that's how that came together. But yeah. But yeah, uh, cause I think what Soderbergh found interesting after doing girlfriend experience was the fact that he pulled it off with those, uh, with those people who had not acted before really. And, and they're all amateurs. You know, well, you know, not to discredit those people in that movie. And then, but in bubble for sure, just they're all like non-professionals. Um, yeah. and I, I, I could see him thinking, let's do this. Like we're with like professional actors and see what happens. And you have let them all talk, which would have been a different movie for sure. If he had shot it after the girlfriend experience, you know, I, I don't know who he would have picked. Probably would not have been Meryl. I don't know, but who knows? And and this is certainly an idea which you know he's had for a while too. I mean, Moneyball. You know, he was going to do this way. You know, with with Brad Pitt and everything. And I think when the studio realized that's what he was doing, that's when they pulled the plug on it right at the last minute. So you know, yeah. And what's interesting is in this movie um, because it, it takes place primarily on this cruise ship and they're really you know uh, they shot it over eight days minimal crew um really small cameras um the 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 red camera he shot here was very new camera smallest camera they'd ever made and that's what appealed to first first movie that was ever shot on it yeah yeah komodo yeah um and he he picked that because he loved using the the iphone so much and he wanted a camera that he could just put anywhere um, but yeah, eight days, uh, and it was quick note, like real small, like tripods, like he was shooting on in, in, in a wheelchair for most of it. Well, um, what, what did you think about this movie? I liked it a lot. Uh, it's, it took me by surprise because the first like, like half of it really was the most interesting, interesting for me. Then if, then it kind of took a pace of like almost a repetitive nature. And then at the very, almost at the very end, like the final act again, it was like, Oh, something I did not expect and became like a whole different thing again for me. So it was an experience. I think this is like one of Soderbergh's longer movies. Now that I think about it, cause it's almost two hours and I don't know. I'm sure I'm, I'm overthinking it, but like, I, don't know, I I I'm, I almost would have expected this to be like ninety minutes, mm-hmm. uh, because he, I don't know he tends to make his like you know Ocean's Eleven type movies a bit longer because like they're yeah. I guess they just need that exposition, but not not that it's a detriment, but yeah, it was a weird experience watching this and thinking, huh, like maybe he could have cut something in the middle, which I never have watching a Soderbergh movie. Yeah. So yeah, that may have been my 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 biggest um, critique is maybe it could have been shorter, but other than that, like I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I've been thinking about it since watching it um, it's, it's, uh, this past week. Uh, what about you, Mike? Yeah, I, I enjoyed it too. I, I think that in the the grand scheme of Soderbergh's career, this is you know one of his lesser movies. Uh, it, it it didn't really pack the same punch that recent stuff like high flying bird or, or even the laundromat did for me, but it was still enjoyable. I like kind of figuring out, you know, like how it was done, I guess, in a sense, you know, the idea that like, this is a movie which was shot on a ship, which was crossing, you know, the ocean 
with people there just to, you know, go across the ocean and not involved in the movie itself. You know, the idea of this, like, a, a it's not a cruise ship, as they say, but as a ship oh, yeah, being yeah. like a uh, a small community, in a sense, like a small city in the ocean, and how shooting a movie in that environment works. It, 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 that was kind of fascinating to me. Uh, and I liked how they really sort of captured that experience, the, the experience of taking a, a ship across the ocean, you know, like, like what, what is that like? And that stuff I, I thought worked really well. And, um, I, I was kind of into it, even though it was sort of repetitive, it, it was repetitive in sort of like a, a comfortable way, you know, yeah. like I enjoyed the, the journey and when it got to the end, it was surprising, but it also felt jarring. Like, is this what it was leading up to? Because it doesn't feel like this is what it was leading up to. And there were just like a few beats in there where it's like, um, I don't think that that really quite works. You know, I, I was, I was more about the journey than the destination, um, and I, I, I think that it is very enjoyable, but at, at the same time, I didn't really get a whole lot out of it in the same way that I do with most Soderbergh movies. You know? I think I like this more than The Laundromat, but not as much as High Flying Bird. Yeah, um, I think most people would probably agree with you on that. Yeah. I don't understand why people didn't like the laundromat. I like the laundromat, but that I'm sure we talked about this on that, on that episode. Like the thing I remember, I remember most about the laundromat is Meryl Streep's brown face. I'm, I'm, I'm using quotes uh, for, <laughs> yeah. for people who are just yeah. listening and you're only yeah. just listening. And I'm still like fascinated by it. I'm still irritated by it. I'm still like pondering that. And uh, but other than that, like it's it's a good movie, and uh, I guess in the grand scheme of things, like which movie would I want to revisit more, like The Laundromat or Let Them All Talk? I'd pick Let Them All Talk. I yeah. I, I could probably watch it again in the next week, and because it uh, I don't know, like it it's it spoke to me more than other Soderbergh movies, because like I think the one plot line that really spoke to me was the one with Lucas Hedges and Gemma Chan mm-hmm. which is yeah. I think the most the most real thing in this movie in terms of like uh, I'll just cut to the chase like I've, I've been through that experience <laughs> and I, uh-huh. I, and I'm sure a lot of people have about like because their characters like Lucas Hedges is like the nephew of Meryl Sheep's character and Gemma Chan like uh, is on the ship because like she's the the um, publishing agent for for Streep and Streep doesn't know that she, she's on the boat and Gemma Chan wants to know what's happening with Streep's uh, book that she's writing currently so she asks um, Lucas Hedges' character about you know what's going on and they talk and they have this relationship you know on this boat sorry ship and. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's it's I, I love that little plot line in this thing, and it and by the end it feels like more. Uh, what I found interesting by the end is like, what is this movie about? Like, like why show all this, and and what are we supposed to grasp from it? And I think that plot line with Lucas Hedges may be the most important plot for me for, uh, by the end of it because it just feels so real, and the end of that, and what Stroop's character has to say about that like the little monologue she gives to lucas hedges uh, at the end about what it means to be attracted to somebody like life itself like all this stuff that to me is like the most it's like the best thing about this movie and that's what i'll remember most about this movie so yeah so so to that point like it it speaks to me more personally than you know some other of soderbergh's work because that just felt so real and that just felt so emotionally powerful is that aspect of it so Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's why I connect with this more than The Laundromat, which I find it's a good movie, but does it speak to me as much as this? No. So, yeah. 
Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, and I guess I mean that 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 kind of speaks to the differences between those two movies, which is let them all talk is sort of about people. It's about that 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 personal relationship, whereas uh, the laundromat is more about um, kind of like a broad, almost political topic. You know, yeah, it's not really about individuals. It's about it's society like, or it it does it does its best because um in that movie in the laundromat it does try to make you connect with like sheep's character and her through line um but uh, i well it doesn't really work as well as i think it should because yeah. I, I do i feel much of anything for those characters at the end not really in the laundromat again i still think it's a good movie but emotionally it does not impact me as much as like say this so yeah 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 but you know i mean the thing about let them all talk and, and the thing about soderbergh uh which is i don't know i guess kind of a blessing and a curse is that even if he makes a movie which does not blow you away you know it's like well that's fine because his next one's going to be out in you know record time, right? <laughs> maybe um, maybe summer of next year. Who knows? Yeah, right. It, and it's not like Tarantino where every movie is an event. I mean, and if like Tarantino came out with a bad movie, or not even a bad movie, but a movie uh, of the, 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 the level of, of Let Them All Talk, you'd be like... Well, that's it. And now we got to wait like another four years. And, you know, that that's kind of a bummer, you know. But with Soderbergh, he's just like, I'm going to do everything. And, you know, sometimes they're going to miss, but other times they're going to hit in ways that you would never expect, in ways which Tarantino could never do. And, uh, you know, it's, it's worth it's worth the, the effort. Yeah. Um, I was also trying to think of my point I made that I lost earlier, and I think I was trying to if 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 this wasn't it, this is I think close to it. But the fact that he shot this so quickly with like you know uh, a light crew, I, I might have read somewhere that he might even not have had a crew. Maybe it was just like two other people, like somebody to keep track of the audio. Mm-hmm. Anyway, regardless, like he's one of those filmmakers, like I don't know John Ford, who just made a movie every year and just like kept working, working, working. He's not satisfied unless he's terrified. I think Soderbergh. Yeah. I think that's what he said in an interview. It's like, if I'm not working on something that scares me in terms of like, how am how am I going to pull this off? Then it's not worth it for him. Yeah. And that's what he loves to do is that ex that, that sort of experimental uh, viewpoint of filmmaking. And that's what I loved about this in terms of, Oh, I think I know what I was talking about. The, the connection between girlfriend experience and this, you know, he has professional actors, you know, improvising. I think the, 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 the fraction was like 70% of, of the script was them improvising. Like every single actor and actress was, was, um, they were given, I guess, if you can make a comparison, like curb enthusiasm, because in curb mm-hmm. enthusiasm, they give them like, like, here's generally what you have to end with. Like, well, here's the point of the scene. And, yeah. and, and, and they're talented actors, so they pulled it off. And there, but there are moments where, like, like uh, they're talking to, to people, to characters on screen, and like, are, is that somebody who they just met on a boat, like uh, uh-huh. on the ship? And it feels very much like girlfriend experience. Like they, they just found this this guy, you know, who right. talks about like I don't know what he was talking about to to, to, to Candace Bergen's character, and Candace Bergen's like trying to like hook up with him, and he's just talking like nonsense. <laughs> so there are moments like that that I loved sprinkled throughout this movie. But yeah, just, just the fact that he wants to do that, like, you know, eight days on a, on on this boat, and he wants to do sh- shoot those scenes with like non professional actors, like talking with like Candace Bergen, with Meryl Streep, with Lucas Hedges. I think that's what excites him. I think that's what, why he wants to make a movie a year or two movies a year, like those yeah. moments like that. Like if if something doesn't make him interested, like oh, that's not part of the script. Let's just do that anyway. Like that sort of stuff is what I love about him and why he keeps making movies like, like this, like, and that's, and that, that, that's a good thing, you know, ultimately, because I can't think of an example right now of somebody who has the same sort of output as Soderbergh. Yeah. Um, I honestly can't think of us of, of, of a filmmaker like that who has this sort of output 
But I'm sure their output is not as good as Soderbergh's is my point. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I don't think they're as adventurous as he is. Yeah. And, and, and speaking of adventurous, you know, he, he's always trying new things, whether it's making movies like Let Them All Talk or expanding into other realms of, of creativity or whatever. Uh, one of the things which was just announced is that he's going to be producing the Oscar telecast. Oh, yeah, year. that's right. Which is insane. I, I forwarded you that link. Uh, I think it was this past week. I, uh, we, we talked about this slightly on the um, TFS The Season episode with, um, where we talked about Contagion. But mm-hmm. the fact that he's so much of a prophet, Soderbergh, is – I didn't expect that. Well, I mean, I'm not surprised, but it was unexpected the way he just – he's been catapulted to the guy who's like in charge of the protocols on film sets now, mm-hmm. make sure everybody's safe. He's also now producing the Oscars. And he's now like one of the figureheads of like – not figureheads, but like people go to him now asking about are theaters going to survive. It's an interesting time and place to be doing a Soderbergh podcast <laughs> because yeah. are we going to do an episode on the Oscars next year? <laughs> hey, I say why not, right? Why not, right? <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't even know how to process that uh, because what – I don't know. I just don't know. Uh, what is he going to do to it? What uh, what changes is, is he going to make? Or is it going to feel at one, at one point in the telecast like that's a Soderbergh moment? I don't know. <laughs> I, I What I think he's going to bring to it, and I mean, it's not like this is the first time they've gotten a filmmaker to do it. You right, know? I right. mean, they've had uh, Reginald Hudland has, has, I think, produced a few of them. And Brett Ratner, you know, did one or two. And uh, I think everyone will remember that uh, in 2013, they got the producers of Chicago to produce it because that telecast became a celebration of 10 years of Chicago (laughs) with like four Chicago retrospectives in in the course of this telecast, uh, which is hilarious to me. And I really hope that he does that because this will be 20 years since Traffic and Aaron Brockovich, so I hope oh. it's just nothing but tributes to Traffic, Traffic and Aaron Brockovich, Aaron Brockovich, which I'm sure is exactly what he's going to do, because that's how he rolls. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, but, uh, he's, he, I, for the two hours in between, for like right in the middle of telecast, he's going to show his Kafka cut right in the middle. Yep, yeah, yep, there you go. I think what he's going to do, is, and I mean, this is like very vague and everything, but I mean, this is, I, I think what he's going to do is he's going to say like, you know, this is the Oscar telecast is boring. Like I've sat through a bunch of these; they're boring. Let's find new ways to make it interesting. And also, I think a big part of it is going to be just logistically: how do you do that now, right? Yeah, during yeah. a pandemic, what is what does that look like? So, I don't know. Who knows what it'll be? But I, I don't think that we're going to see. You know, like. You know, I don't think he's going to be shooting it with the iPhone or anything like that. But I, I, I do think that what we're going to get is his philosophy that he, he uses to make movies applied to making the Oscars. That's my, my thinking. I mean, I, I, I watch them every year, sort of have to at this point. And yep. uh, I, yeah, I mean, if, if he ends up making them shorter, all the better. <laughs> Because you yeah, probably will, right? Well, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Cut it down, to, you know, ninety minutes. How about that? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, yeah. We'll see. I don't know. I don't know if we should do an episode because I I'm afraid that there'll be just like a minute or two of something that feels very Soderbergh, and then that'll be it. Then we'd have to talk about the the other like three and a half hours of Oscar telecast for an episode of this show. I mean, what's the worst that could happen, right? We are gonna, we're both gonna be watching it regardless, you know. Yeah. We, it, it's gonna be a weird telecast. We might as well talk about it, right? Might as well, yeah. But one yeah. thing, one thing I do want to talk about is uh, next year, whenever Soderbergh releases his seven uh, movie box set limited edition, um, which. We, we've talked about this on Twitter, and we should talk about this on Mike because it's worth talking about. So, confirmed in this seven-movie box set that's coming out next year, presumably, is Kafka, Full Frontal, and Schizopolis. 
uh of course yeah. uh, the that uh what's it called the midnight cut of of kafka that's yeah something like that. finally yeah. coming out uh he's uh full frontal he did a new cut of Schizopolis, he did a new cut of they're shorter apparently yeah um so f- the other four movies now i have not read what you've read apparently mike um but i do sort of believe it because the thing about this box set is uh he said he owns you know no, in one way or another these seven movies like th- they're yeah. the ones that are his that he has the rights issues for um those three that i mentioned are there but the other four uh what's your thoughts on this because i have thoughts because like i would love to see like bubble at least in there maybe mm-hmm. maybe he puts go for experience i don't know but Mike, what what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I did read this like just very recently, where he said what the seven were, you okay. know, and it wasn't in the context of doing a box set; it was in the context of, you know, I own the rights to my movies, you know, to you know, and what movies they are. He said it was those three, and then he said it was the two Spalding Gray movies, and you know, Gray's Anatomy, and um, and everything is going fine, and then I seem to recall that it would be. Um, unsane and Logan Lucky because I mean that was the whole thing he said he you know started a company in order to to do that in order to make those you yeah. know so I'm pretty sure those are the seven um, he he did say it it is in an interview somewhere I don't remember where but it was very recent um, so I'm pretty sure it's yeah Schizopolis Grey's Anatomy Full Frontal. Kafka, um, Logan Lucky, and and um, everything's going fine. And 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 everything's going fine. Yeah, yeah. which I'd be fine with that. You know, uh, I, I the, all those movies are, are are great in their own ways. But I still want Bubble. For God's sakes, I want a Blu-ray of Bubble. I, want I mean, I've got a Blu-ray of Bubble. I don't do you have a Blu-ray of Bubble? Yeah, I got it right here. Mm-hmm. There it is. Look at that. <laughs> they okay. released it on DVD um, when it came, like that same thing, you know, because that was the whole thing. I was like, I'm going to go see this in the theater. Although at the time I was like, this is a case where it might not be better to see it in the theater because it's going to be on film and it's a, on film at a theater, which is not very good at projecting movies. And then I was at Borders Bookstore uh, the weekend before it came out and they had a copy of the DVD on the shelf. And I'm like, well, I guess I'm watching it on DVD because I'm going to buy it right now and go home and watch it now. So, but the Blu-ray, because Blu-ray was kind of brand new at the time, that came out a few months later. But it is out on Blu-ray, for sure. Uh, so. I don't know what, what, whatever for whatever reason I thought there it was hard to come by. But no, I can buy it for that twenty for twenty six bucks. I could buy Bubble on Blu-ray. Well, there you go. Uh, it's got audio commentary on it and everything. Yeah. I um, I do actually have the the DVD copy of it burned on my laptop, so I have that commentary oh, okay. handy. What okay. is hard to find though is the Girlfriend Experience Blu-ray because uh, I just looked that up, and you can get a copy of it. Oh wait, there's a used copy right now on Amazon for twenty five bucks. But Great. you know, last week I checked, and a new copy of the Girlfriend Experience ran for about seventy five bucks. So. Yeah, uh, I've, I've got. I, I do have a Blu-ray of that too. So yeah, it's used though, not new. <laughs> I, I I wonder if he'll do like a new cut. If if it's those seven that he mentioned in the interview, Mike. If if he'll do a new cut for any of those other movies, because he's doing a new cut for Kafka. You know, Full Frontal, Schizopolis. Full Frontal. Mm-hmm. I'm excited for because I love that movie. And whatever new cut he has in store, I'll watch it and be excited for it. Like, is he going to do maybe a new, a new edit for Unsane or Logan Lucky or the Spotting Gray movies? I think he won't. I mean, I think he said that he, he's not. But, um, I mean, the full frontal one is interesting because that is the only way that you can get that movie on Blu-ray is with a pre-release cut that he edited ah. down. <laughs> so so the version on, on Blu-ray is a longer cut which uh, shouldn't really exist. I mean, it's interesting to see like what he changed, but it's not something that you'd ever want to watch. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm I'm definitely excited. I mean, I I'm assuming Soderbergh being Soderbergh, he's also going to release these things on like iTunes. Oh, in yeah. which case, if I'm being completely honest, that's how I'm going to get them because you know it's the future, guys. Um, but I. 
well, I hope that box set has a has a digital code thingy. That'd and be nice. I can, I yeah. Can, yeah, have have both copies. But um, there's something else I want to talk about. I don't know now. Oh, like uh, out of out of every film of his that I'd like to see on Blu-ray and have a good version of, if Criterion yeah. can pick up Solaris. Then that'd be amazing, but yeah. that's that's one that I don't think is going to happen. It's not going to happen anytime oh. soon. It's a Disney movie now, yeah. so yeah, you know. And, and hey, maybe produce... it'll end up on uh, Disney Plus <laughs> or or Hulu, <laughs> since Hulu. that's that's what they're moving everything to. All the R-rated mm-hmm. stuff is Hulu. Uh, imagine that. Imagine like a well, Hulu doesn't have a 4K, do they? No, they don't. They have 4K, but they don't have HDR. Oh, okay. Because it, 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 imagine that in 4K. Imagine that looking amazing and imagine if we finally got to see his shorter cut of solaris that yeah uh i've 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 loved he mentioned that on the commentary for that movie him at cameron like soderbergh's mm-hmm. like oh yeah uh I, I did a shorter cut of this and cameron's like eh, i told you not to do that it's like yeah hey, don't hey, let's not make it shorter leave it alone soderbergh um yeah. but yeah but yeah unfortunately we're not gonna see that anytime soon so Probably not. Probably no, not. No. But yeah, but that no. box that's great. Uh, I don't know where it's going to be released uh, from. I'm assuming not Criterion because I I, I can't imagine like them getting. Uh, I don't know. Well, it's Soderbergh's. It, 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 he he holds the rights to those movies, so why not somewhere? They've already like released. They've already released three of those on Criterion. Yeah. So. So why um, not have Unsane be yeah. a Criterion movie? That'd be amazing. You could. Yeah, or Logan Lucky. Or Logan I, Lucky. I think he's gonna. I'm guessing he's gonna do it himself. You know, maybe yeah, sign him off of his website, website. or whatever. Which, yeah. yeah, sign me up. Oh. I'll buy. Yeah. I'll buy that. Be the first oh. one online. Come on. Yeah, yeah. But uh, there you go. Something to look forward to in 2021. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, should we uh, wrap this up? We should. Yeah. It's been. Mm. It's been. Uh, uh, you know, close to an hour. I think that's enough. Oh, oh, oh uh, uh, final thoughts and let them all talk. I'll just say. I think this movie will sit well with me, and I'll be re- revisiting it soon. And yeah, thinking about it more uh, over this last hour, uh, you know, talking about it, I don't know. Like it, it, it connected with me more than other Soderbergh movies, maybe. Um, and I think that's a good thing. I think I love, I, I love the message by the end, and uh, the performances are all good. I think Lucas Hedges does a good job somewhat of improvising a lot of his stuff i think you can see you, you, you can compare him to like the the older actors in this and go you know he's not as you know <laughs> quick you know he's not as good of an actor not to disparage lucas hedges but it was still fun to, fun to see him especially like the young guy with all these other great actors mm-hmm. uh i do love him and his performance and, and his and his role in this so yeah overall let them all talk solid movie that i think i'll i'll enjoy more down the line yeah i i thought it was good too i i do want to revisit it now because i didn't really know much about it going into it and now that i i have sort of read up on the making of the movie i'm curious to watch it again which is exactly i mean soderbergh talks about how he doesn't want people to do that so i'm gonna <laughs> do what he doesn't want me to do and i don't care what he wants <laughs> i just do whatever i want man uh, yeah. oh and then one other thing i found interesting that in it's not a spoiler but like in this movie they're trying to figure out what streep is writing what her character's writing is it going to be a sequel to one of her yeah. books like she wrote like 30 years ago and you know soderbergh himself just wrote a sequel for six lights videotape and yeah I find that interesting that he could have been writing that sequel to Sex Lies as he's doing post production for this. So, yeah, yeah, I, I, I thought about that too. That's, yeah. that's kind of interesting, yeah. um, and certainly something else to look forward to. I mean, he's not stopping making movies again anytime soon. So, no, not at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, on the whole, I mean, I, I thought that Let Them All Talk was definitely a good movie. But by Soderbergh's standards, I think that it's one of his lesser movies. It's fair. So, fair. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd put it like mid-range. I haven't put this in my ranking, but yeah, more uh, lower to mid-range. Still, yeah. still pretty good. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, Marcelo, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, they can go to talkfilmsociety.com. Uh, find all the stuff we do there. I uh, this past week, actually, as of this recording, I think we've released more episodes, uh, more podcast episodes there than any other week 
in history. <laughs> um, I mean, quickly, you have the Going Home Steep. You have two episodes of TFS The Season. Uh, you have Steven Destroy. You have uh, Dream a Little Deeper. You have A Pod to Be You. You have Queer and Now. That's a lot. Uh, but all those shows are on Talk from Society. Check us out. Uh, we're on Spotify, iTunes. If you listen to this on iTunes, you know, scroll through and you'll find more episodes of, of those shows I just mentioned. So, yeah, check that out. And also patreon.com slash Talk from Society because there you can also find one that I, you know, I didn't miss but want to focus on. Trek Film Society. We also published yeah. that this past week. Uh, the first episode in that series. You can find all, all those episodes with me, Mike, and Diego on the Patreon, patreon.com slash talkfromsociety. Yep, you can find me there, and you can also find me on my website, filmdamagepod.com, doing a show called Film Damage, where we talk about Star Trek, time travel, and film projection. And you can find me on a new show on the nerdparty.com uh, called Nerd Party News, where we recap all of the, the news of the week, and we're just about to start recording an episode on the uh, the Disney Investors Call, yeah, what, which I'm what, sure is going to be seven hours long. What news <laughs> is there to talk about this week? Nothing, nothing oh happens. my oh god. <laughs> so be sure to check that out on the nerdparty.com or on you know iTunes and all the rest of it. Um, and then you can also find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Mumbles3K. All right. So that's it for Steven Soderbergh. 3333. 33. <laughs> we will be back in the near future with Steven Soderbergh, 3434, 34, to talk about. Well, I guess it's probably going to be the Oscars, but it could also be his new movie, No Sudden Move. Yeah. Uh, but regardless, we maybe, will be back soon. maybe he'll drop it on the same day as the Oscars. Yeah, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't that surprise be great? me? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yep. All right. But until then, uh, take uh, it easy. Keep making movies. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs>